0: This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Dr. Dino Levy. Professor Levy is an associate professor and the head of the Neuroeconomics and Neuromarketing Lab at the Marketing Department at Collar School of Management and the Seagal School of Neuroscience. Our conversation today focuses specifically on how EEG and machine learning can help marketers to better predict consumer
1: preferences. Dino, thank
0: you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Uh, It's great to be here.
0: Understanding how consumers will react to advertising and how it drives their preferences is critical to marketers. So achieving better accuracy in these predictions and expanding the tools at our disposal is critical for continued success. Traditionally, surveys and focus groups are the go-to tools. And recently, there have been companies touting neuromarketing using neural and other physiological assessments and they've proliferated, but it's hard for a marketer to assess the claims and value those offerings, which is why I'm so excited to have the opportunity to speak with you about the study that you and your colleagues performed. It's an academic study, but it was designed with practitioners in mind. So first off, to set the stage, could you just run through some of the weaknesses that are inherent in the traditional research tools?
1: Yes, of course. So, you know, the traditional tools, these are very important tools and are important even after the marketing revolution or your no marketing uses. One of the main disadvantages of questionnaires is that people are influenced, of, first of all, of the way I ask the question. Mm-hmm. For example, if I ask the question in a positive way or a negative way, that will influence my answer. Another problem with questionnaires is that they, they could bias your answers based on uh, whether you want to uh, describe or uh, make strong claims about things that you're uncomfortable about. Let's say we're asked about some beliefs that we don't think that are the norm. I would answer different. So some other... sort of image management is going on there? Exactly. In many cases can ask me questions, but I don't really know the answer. And I just make make up some answers. Huh. Uh, um, and they're not really my preferences or my beliefs. There's just something that, you okay, you brought me to, to, for a question, and I just make make up something, but it's not my true valuation like, over that product question or anything of the sort. So what we know from many studies is that these various biases lead to that. The questionnaires are problematic tool and they're not necessarily very predictive. Mm. Similarly, also focus groups have some important drawbacks. For example, think about your it, It's like 10 people are sitting in the room and uh, the moderator is asking a question Usually, not everybody gives his answer. It's only the most dominant people will give their answers. The loud people give their answers. And if you're shy or, you know, you're not, it's not that important for you, then you're not okay. You're not going to give your answer or you're not going to fight for your uh, belief. Or maybe as well, I'm embarrassed. Maybe right. I don't want to convey that I, I don't know, that I like whatever is something that it's inappropriate to like. These, all these problems makes people not, uh, describe their true preferences, and then it biases the conclusions of the focus group. So there are all these kinds of things that uh, causes biases and inaccuracies in estimating how good the marketing stimuli or the product or brand, or whatever it is you're measuring, how good it is and how people actually like it in the real world. So
0: we have these traditional tools, which are good, but they're, they have their limited application. And then with neuromarketing, Beyond the opaque nature of their methodology or their algorithms, there are some shortcomings if marketing professionals want to be able to evaluate something and have a population level response. Why is that?
1: So first of all, I want to make uh, uh, something clear that the proposal is not, or the idea is not that we will use neuroscience uh, or neural activities instead of the standard tools. The mm. idea is to add an additional layer of information that it's probably you can't get from the standard classic tools. It's more objective. It's very hard to, you know, lie to, to that your brain activity will lie or you change your brain <laughs> activity. It's tough, yeah. right? right. Maybe, maybe you can change, you know, your heart rate a little bit. You know, in the lie detection, some people can fool lie detection. It's pretty hard to fool the brain activity. So it's so the idea that it's more objective. That's number one. Number two, it's, it's a little bit less biased because you don't ask any, anything. There's no questions. You just let people look at the stimuli, at the commercial, whatever, and you measure the uh, activity. Right. Another big advantage is that you can measure uh, continuously. It's not that you ask, you know, how much did you like the commercial overall or something like that, but I can measure throughout the commercial changes in brain activity mm. in a very high resolution so I can get insight during all the commercial. Now, although the, the all these are great and important, still marketers have problems in understanding why this is important or useful.
0: It's really understanding where you can apply it. A marketer has a limited spend. And so we're saying this is an additional tool, but because you're adding this additional tool, can you be more accurate and can you also change the tool mix?
1: Yeah. So I think that what we showed in the study is that indeed, if you add this layer of information from the brain, you are able to predict far better than just using standard questionnaires of how much you like the, the product and uh, the commercial, et cetera. So the idea is that you can uh, get more information and stronger predictive power when you add this tool. But of course, the problem is that it's not cheap. It's mm. not like sending 1,000 people questionnaire online. That's the trade-off. But what gives you, it gives you higher predictive power. I think marketers need to think of is it worth the cost? That is, if research, a neuromarketing research, will cost fifty thousand dollars, but it gives you five percent more in prediction accuracy, and your campaign is, I don't know, million dollars or five million dollars. That is a lot at five percent improvement. Well, Think also, if,
0: didn't yeah. your study, if I if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. so you had you had a combination of EEG plus the self-reports and you used multiple EEG signals and that you were looking to see that your small group, that you could do your your Mm -hmm. EEG and your small group surveys and that that could potentially outperform and apply to a population level than just doing the population survey alone, that you actually were able to, when you combined these things, get a better result, a more accurate for a population result.
1: Absolutely. So what we did in the, in the, in the study is that we show that if we want to predict how a successful commercials will be in the real world, and in terms of success, of course we didn't have the real sales of each of the commercials, but what we took is we took YouTube metrics and like how much likes and views Etc. as the success of the commercial at the population level. Mm-hmm. And we tried to see what can we do in order to predict the success. So mm-hmm. in order to do that, we took a small group of, of subjects, around 30 people, and we gave them to watch these commercials. Mm-hmm. And we just recorded their, recorded their EEG activity, and also they answered questionnaires. So we did two, I think, important things in this study. First, what we showed is that the questionnaires can predict to some extent how successful are the commercials in the population, just using the, the, question, the answers of these 30 subjects. Okay. But what we showed that is if you add the neural data, it is far better than just using the questionnaires alone. That was number one. And, and was it
0: a significant improvement? The accuracy, like, so, is significant. It was a significant
1: improvement. It's more than between five to seven percent. I don't want okay. to get into the details. Five okay. to seven percent better than just using the questionnaires. Okay. Now, what we did in the study is that usually, in up until this study, usually, even when people use neuroactivity, they use usually only one um, measurement from the EEG for prediction. Right and what we did is we did that we, we analyzed the brain data in several different ways, and the combination of all these different, I would call them, features of the brain activity together had the most significant improvement in prediction. What we did is we used sophisticated machine learning to identify the most important features, and the combination of all of them together contributed the most to prediction.
0: And when you're doing a study like this, do you run several so you you know that it wasn't just this one group? Yeah, How do you know so that you that, can apply it and yeah, that you so can then once you've run your machine learning and you say okay these this constellation of signals these are the really predictive ones, do you then test it again? Yeah.
1: That's a, yeah, that's a that's a wonderful question and most norm marketing studies out there do not do what I'm going to describe now mm-hmm. is that when you build these kind of models You train the model, not on all the data. Instead of taking all the the data of the 30 subjects, the 100% of the data, you just take 80% of the data for training the model. Oh, I see. Learns on 80% of the data. And when you want to say how good is my prediction – You take the 20% that the model never saw Uh, and test on that. When you demonstrate a prediction accuracy, when you report a prediction accuracy, it's on this, what we call a test set. That's number one. It's very, very important because otherwise you can suffer from all these kinds of overfitting and not able to replicate it again. So that's number one, which is, I think, very important. Number two is that we examined our ability to predict in three different ways. Right. The first way, as I told you, taking 80% of the data as training and 20% of the data as tests. Right. But that's taking all the data of all the subjects. Right. This is the easiest way to predict because the machine saw the brain data of all the subjects that was right. in our group. but. What do actually marketers want? We were able to show that we can predict based on a small group of subjects to the big population level. But even more, what do the the marketers want? What they want is that you give me a 30, I don't know, 30 people brain activity, and I want you to tell me about any brain data for any subjects, even for new subjects. Right. So what we did is that we also, in another analysis, Is that we the 80% and 20% of the train data and the test data was not from the entire subject pool? What we said, okay, let's take only 80% of our subjects and test on different subjects that the model never saw. So it's like brand new brain. Okay. Okay. So we we said, oh, like this is more what the marketer wants. If I bring a new subject in and I measure their brain data, and I already have a model. I can tell you how the commercial is preferred by this new
0: subject.
1: Mm. Nobody did it before because that's harder to do. And the third level was even what we, we tested on new products. So mm. The model learned only on several of the products that appeared in the commercials. And we tried to predict how much people would like the products in commercials that the model never saw. This oh, is interesting. very hard. Yeah. Think about like, okay, I wanna I wanna I build a model for food items. Right. And now I bring you a new food item hmm. and I have a model that will predict, but but it never saw this food item uh, before. And it's hard to do. But right. um you know, using this sophisticated machine learning, we were able to do it and to improve what the questionnaires were, were able to do. And I think the important part is that we were able to take a small group of people, only like around 30, and to be able to predict uh, something at the population level, which I think is very important, very crucial for marketers because they don't want to take thousands of subjects and to plug in there with EEG because it's expensive, well, it yeah. takes time, etc.
0: Right. But you looked at the results and you compared them just with survey alone, and it was... Significant depends what
1: you measure, but it's between five to seven percent increase above the questionnaires, and in some metrics, it's twenty. Well, it's kind of twenty percent better prediction. Yes,
0: right. For me, that that you could use this small sample and predict the large population better than just the large survey. That was something that I, I was really like, Ooh, that's, that's attractive because then I can just manage something, you know, I could do a small sample. I could do a small survey, have those small EEG tests run. Why do you think the combination was so powerful? Is it because you can't lie to the EEG? Is it the machine Mm -hmm. learning piece? What is it that makes it so powerful?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, several things. First of all, because it was done in a lab-controlled environment, everything was controlled, even the brain signal was controlled very tightly, then that helped. Mm-hmm. Second, as you said, brain data that we measured allowed us what I what we think, to gather information about the valuation process of the commercials that was not uh, available when we just asked the questions people sometimes don't know that they actually like this commercial very much or they can't report it when they ask the when you ask them questions but the brain data picks it up and so so this is a, so important. let me
0: just make this i just want to make sure i'm understanding that properly yeah. so i am being asked a question i may not consciously know if i like that product or not or if i'm going to see that movie or not but my brain does know yeah.
1: Exactly, because because you know you have some information that arises to your consciousness, mm. and it's not necessarily everything that goes on in your brain. Um, there are many many operations in the brain that you are not conscious that influences your behavior. Right, uh, and it, it happens all the time, all day long. We just think that we are in control all the time, and, 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 but we're not. And, uh, yeah, and everything that we do we are conscious of all the time. There is very famous studies that show that even just the fact that when you force me to choose something, even if I don't like it, it increases my valuation for that. Uh, there's a famous study that they gave men to choose between two pictures of women, uh, which one is more attractive. Mm. And let's say, for example, I chose picture A and without me knowing they switched the pictures and they told me, oh, look, this is picture B. You actually chose this. Please explain us, why did you choose this? And people just, you know, made up stories. Why did they choose this picture B, this picture B? Even though that B?
0: wasn't the one they even chose. Even though that wasn't even
1: what they chose. There's a huh. lot of, of things that are going on in our brain that we can't, don't have access to, are influencing our behavior. It's hard to measure them using just questionnaires. And because when we answer a question, this is just what is available to us verbally in con. It's not even the entire things that we are conscious. It's only right. the things that we can verbally describe or write down or whatever. It's not right. even the whole conscious experience. So it's a very limited scope of our entire experience of any marketing stimuli. And I think n- neural activity gives us a bit more information what's going on about our preferences of marketing stimuli and i think that's number two yeah
0: yeah that was one of the things in the study you had mentioned that you applied the machine learning and that you found that certain measures were associated with the likes and views and others were Uh associated with dislike and i thought wow that's really interesting i I suppose you'll study that more deeply if it really is a different mechanism even
1: so i wouldn't say it's different mechanisms but but they are there will be different sensitivities of the measurements to these Um, different measurements because the machine learning was built using different uh, features of the brain activity one of the important features with what is called brain coherence or brain synchronization it's one of the measurements for or or the best measurement for how engaging something is Oh. So what it says is that I measure how your brain and my brain are actively in sync. Oh. If they are very, very correlated or in sync or like activating in the same way, what we think is that this means that we are both looking at the same thing and are both thinking similar thoughts or more attentive. That's yeah. really So the idea is that when there is high correlation between people, then this point in time is more attentive or more engaging in the commercial. So this feature, what we showed is that this feature of this engagement is correlated with, for example, how many views uh, the commercial had. If it was a more engaging commercial across all the study group, it had more views, which is interesting, I think. Yeah. On On the other hand, if you look at likes... And, and dislikes are there. Will be more the features that were more predictive uh-huh. to that, or features that are more related to, I would say, the standard valuation uh, network in the brain. The more a value that I have to something, these these features are more active. So that oh, okay. these were more uh, related to how I value in general the commercial. So so the, I think that this is why the important thing for us was to combine different measurements of the aging because it it grasps different aspects of the valuation, whether it's engaging, whether it's actually like it or dislike it, or whether it's interesting or whether it's funny or not funny. It's a combination of all these things. I think it's important. And this is why we try to grasp these different features of brain activity and the commercial itself. Right.
0: Right. So if I'm a marketer and I'm inspired by your work and I want to integrate it into my campaign budget, how do I evaluate a neuromarketing partner? Are there certain questions that I should be asking about their equipment, their research, the methodology, their algorithms? How can Um, I go about assessing?
1: Yeah, that's a very very hard question. Because, you know, I would I would tell these companies, get some neuroscientists on board, and let him hear the answers of these neuromarketing companies, because uh, some of them are telling you all kinds of things that if you are a marketer, you can't even evaluate.
0: Are there red flags? Are there things if they say that's an yes? Like uh, that's my, an overreach. I, I will
1: tell you several of my red flags. I would say I'm a minority in this because I go against the norm in the neuromarketing industry, not in the academia, because right. there's a gap also there. Right. So if a company tells you that they can read your minds. <laughs> then that's just false. That's just, you know, made up. We cannot read minds. Okay. We can't understand exactly what you think. Right. We can a little bit improve the prediction above, you know, questionnaires, etc. That's number one. If they tell you that, oh, we have a metric for emotion, memory, and um, attention or something like that, I, I would walk away immediately huh. because these are... Enormous concept in psychology and neuroscience, but they—what do they actually mean? What do you mean, emotion? Do you mean positive emotion, negative emotion? They're so complex right. that just by measuring EEG, you can't really reveal the full complexity of the different emotions that we have. What huh. do you mean by by memory? There are short-term memory, long-term memory, episodic memory, semantic memory. What do you mean by that? So these are just general labels that are not necessarily actually grounded by hard science. That's number two. And number three, that's the big one, is that these some of these companies say, oh, we are selling to you. You need to sell to your reptilian brain, to your ancient brain, all this nonsense. This is just... (laughs) Nonsense! I love these replies. This lights. makes me uh, furious me every time. There is no such thing as selling to a, a an area in the brain, or the old brain, or the new brain. You you sell your product or your marketing stimuli to the entire brain. These are networks in the entire brain that operates that that you know defines how you like the commercial, what's the value you put on the product or the brand. We're not zombies that if you you know sell, if you give me some some information that, oh, I'll go to the store like a zombie and I'll buy it. It doesn't work like that. It's a lot more complicated. So if you hear somebody says, oh, you need to sell to the reptilian brain, it's nonsense. It's, it's marketing people who made up this because they read some textbook of neuroscience, because they're not neuroscientists, they read a textbook of neuroscience that in evolution, yes, there are these divisions of the old brain, the midbrain and the, you know, the neocortex. But it doesn't mean that they don't fully operate together in full connections. And when I evaluate a commercial, these entire brain systems are activated and you cannot separate that. And the other last thing, Is if somebody tells you, you have to sell to system one and not to system two, because that's your, where the emotions are and the unconscious and all these things, this doesn't make any sense.
0: Well, that actually, that one is very interesting to me because I have heard that, you know, emotion is the root of decision-making. And so if you connect with somebody in an emotional place, Uh that that will make that work. Is that not so?
1: That is not so. It is part of it. It is part of it. Of course, emotions play an important role of how much you like, you know, a marketing stimuli or a message or commercial. Of course, it's important, but it's not the only thing and it's not the main thing. It it's is not the main part thing. of it. Mm, okay. It's not the main, it's part of it. How about the main thing? If I tell you, you know, it's um, because what is emotions, everything you can say it's emotion, because let's say you, you uh, had a, a, a bad encounter with some brand, you know, some bad experience, and then you want to evaluate now how much you like the brand. Then of course it's part of it's part of emotions, but it's also you know you had a bad memory. Oh, it's, too. it's
0: based on a, it's based on a factual experience, a data a factual point, a a personal data also, point. Okay.
1: You know, it's there's many things. So it's just this dichotomy. Every time if you hear a dichotomy in science, be aware that it's probably false in any field. Uh-huh. Dichotomies are not how the way the brain works or biology works. It is a full continuum. So, of course, the emotions are important. Don't get me wrong, but not always. And it's not the only thing. The idea is what is the actual driver? Think about of a box, metaphorically, of course, mm-hmm. it's a whole network in the brain. It's a box that aggregates information from anywhere it can. For example, of course, emotions, whether I'm happy, sad, whatever. But what about if I'm tired or not? That influences, of course, right? Influences Mm -hmm. if I like a commercial. If I'm hungry or not, Mm -hmm. if
0: I'm
1: thirsty or not, if I'm in a rush or not, if I'm stressed or not, if there is sun outside or if it's raining, if when I see the commercial, if it's dark blue or light red, I don't know. There are a lot of things that influences how much do you like something. And it's a, a giant combination of all these things getting into the box and influencing everyone is pulling, each thing is pulling to its, to its own direction that eventually it influences your choice or your preferences or how much you like a commercial or marketing stimuli.
0: But when so you had the sync, sort of the synchronicity between different members of the audience reacting in a in a similar way, there must be some I, I mean, I, I yeah. something in that box that if you hit it the right way, uh, you get a okay. signal. Right. I yeah. mean, so, so
1: the question. Yeah. yeah, The question is, what is that thing? Right. And we don't, that, right. we don't I don't know, know what that We don't know what that thing
0: is, but. But an EEG test in combined with the machine learning, in combined with the survey, it may not know how you got there, but it may say this is the part that people are engaging with. Yes,
1: that is the key. That is the key. Exactly. And if you, let's say, if you do a lot of studies, eventually you can start to think, oh, what are the common denominators of the things that draw attention, for example? Now, we know some of them. For example, faces, faces draw attention. Right. That's good. Okay. So like high contrast,
0: high contrast colors draw attention.
1: Not yeah. That's right. Okay. right. You know, movement, et cetera. But does that, does that mean that that for absolutely every time that will, you know, high attention means high engagement means people will buy it in the store. No, not necessarily because high engagement could be for negative
0: Right. Wow. That annoys me. I'm never
1: doing that. So it's a lot more complicated than just saying it's the emotional context. So the idea, of course, in using the brain signals is that think about this is like the global average of this giant box that takes into all the information possible. And if you do it enough times and continuously and with various commercials or products or marketing uh, stimuli, maybe you can start to find interesting and new stimuli or information that induces you know, high attention or increases my probability to go and buy this product.
0: Man, I can't uh, wait to get some sort of meta-analysis of everything that you've learned. I'm going to have a link to the paper in the podcast webpage. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Gabrielle. It was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open, and of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.